0: we started experimenting more, you know, with um, having threesomes. And um, during that time, I started to discover that I was interested in women. And at that time, I didn't know how to say those things out loud to myself. It was more of this, like, we, we didn't even necessarily talk about it in an upfront way with my husband. We would just go do things, have an experience. And then, boom, the next morning, I'd wake up with the shame hangover.
1: Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret, I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brienne davis Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets we probably want to go to our grave with? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Carla. Now, Carla, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What <laughs> is your secret? Okay. So my secret is about my wild sex life. <laughs> Ooh. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Let's chat. Okay. <laughs> um. So what about it was a secret? Okay. So I guess my secret really stems from
0: another secret. Ooh. I know that sounds like really multi-layered, but um, I had experienced childhood sexual assault. And I hadn't really addressed it or dealt with it until 2016 mm-hmm. after my um, fiance at the time proposed to me. And I figured, okay, well, I have this like really dark shadow within me that kind of comes out in ugly ways and I needed to address it. Um, and during that process of going to therapy and dealing and healing in that way, I started to think a lot about my sexuality and my sex life and how I experienced it with my fiance at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, in the same way, when I was dealing with the feelings of the trauma, I would lash out by drinking a lot and getting really wild and then doing something really wild and then being ashamed about it the next day.
1: It was like that cycle of shame that you were, you had all this anger and trauma stuffed in your body and you just keep acting out and then the shame would happen and make it worse. It's that like, cycle. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I
0: would call it a shame hangover almost. Um, Ooh, I think yeah. That like, I like that. Yeah. When I was younger, what would happen was I would just drink a lot and then all of my feelings and anger would come out that way. And also a lot of like my promiscuity, is that the, am I saying that word right? Yeah, It would come out then and I wouldn't be able to control it. And then again, I'd wake up the next morning feeling all the shame and embarrassment and it was just,
1: you know, not a good time. <laughs> Can I ask when you had this sexual assault, what age you were?
0: So this happened while I was in elementary school. So it was around the ages of seven to eight and nine.
1: Wow. Yeah, I was also around six molested. So I I remember this moment where I couldn't, I felt detached from myself afterwards. Yeah,
0: I I completely resonate with that. I think a lot of times I didn't really reflect back on my childhood because it was painful. And like Mm -hmm. I said, I only really dealt with the anger of it and would talk about it when I had been drinking. This was post-2016. And that's why I kind of made the decision after I was engaged that, okay, this is something I need to address. I cannot take this into marriage. (laughs) And then um, through that process, I kind of learned more about myself and how the way I expressed my sexuality was never in a conscious way. It was always just I would get drunk, you know, and hook up and then not really understand what I was doing, I guess. I would be like, you know, like blackout or drunk during it. And then. So, you,
1: your sexual experiences were all disconnected, it sounded like.
0: I would say yes. Mm-hmm. As sad as that, when I came to that realization, I had a moment of anger because my whole thing was that, like, my first introduction to, into anything sexual I was really, really young. And I wouldn't allow myself to even remember those feelings. And to me, that, that was my first introduction to sexuality. And then in high school and in college and as an adult, like most of it would just be, I would numb myself out in order to like indulge in that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I am the exact same way. Whenever I would act out sexually, I I almost felt like I was like floating out of my body and I wasn't there or I was watching it happen instead of being, you know, connected to the other person. Cause I didn't really want to be connected to anybody.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I, that completely, it's funny because I feel like a lot of people who have dealt with that kind of trauma, they're on the same story, like storyline, we understand each other, we get it. And yeah, it was a really, it was a really beautiful thing to finally see a therapist and work through it. And I did, um, what is that called? The EMDR, a, mm-hmm. psych, uh, mm-hmm. a treatment. And, and that really like broke me open and helped me kind of understand myself more.
1: I have a question though, before I really just want to go back to one moment when yes. you actually sat down with your fiance and revealed this secret to him, what was that like? So I met him when I was 22, <laughs> I was pretty young mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure the first
0: time I told him about my um, prior abuse, I was drunk. So again, a lot of it has to do with a cycle of like drinking and not confronting all of those shadows and my history until I was like loose enough to, to do so. Mm. Um, but he was very gentle with me. He definitely understood. He allowed me to talk about it with him. And honestly, he was one of the first people in my life who allowed me to talk about my trauma without being angry, you know, lashing out at the person who did it. Like he really just held space for me and allowed me to talk about it out loud with someone <laughs>
1: I know. Isn't that so beautiful when someone just allows you to just be and say what happened and not trying, they're not trying to fix it or protect you. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And I didn't know that I needed that until it happened, you know? And I think that's why after he proposed to me in 2016, I was like, I want, I want this to be behind me. It can't be this thing that's looming over my head, you know?
1: (laughs) And how was it looming over your head, over your relationship? Like, how was it doing that? So I was deeply angry at everything
0: around me. I remember like having this constant thought of like, why did no one protect me? Why was I that young in situations like that? Mm. Who who was supposed to stand by me and protect me? And I remember just being really angry. But the weird thing about those kinds of feelings is I was too afraid to tackle those questions head on. So I would allow myself to feel the anger, but not, not sit with it long enough to answer
1: it. Mm. So you would l- like the anger would erupt and mm-hmm. then you wouldn't say why you were so angry it would just you yeah. would turn it about something else so what I learned through my therapist is um,
0: I would have this issue of more when I was younger, in my early 20s, where I would get drunk and really angry, like unnecessarily angry. It would come out of nowhere and the anger would be directed towards like literally anything around me.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I was kind of... I was pretty. just like imagining you yelling at a chair, like a random yeah. chair. <laughs> or actually it would really be towards
0: my partner. So mm. my fiance would have to deal with just me being angry. And I learned over time that... I would revert back to anger towards men, because the person who did it to me was a man. And it's just, it would erupt in that way. You're right. And um, once I was able to pick apart why that was happening, why that, that the anger was even stemming from something else, then I was really able to kind of accept myself for it, forgive myself for it, you know, forgive the situation in general.
1: Yeah, I- For me too, I mean, I would kind of do the same thing. I'd want to destroy men. And I didn't Mm -hmm. understand why I had this need to like destroy them. And it was because I was taken advantage of. And when you're taken advantage of at such a young age and you have no voice, Mm -hmm. it creates this monster inside where you just are trying to self-soothe. That's so true.
0: And for me, I think the crazy thing was I was – I'm a very enthusiastic, optimistic person. I've always been really bubbly and um, my personality is always bubbly. So like these outbursts of anger really would surprise some people in my life. They'd be like, wow, where's this anger stemming from? It surprised me too, because like I said, I don't in my day to day life, I wouldn't be feeling it. I would just have like these low, low moments that it would, you know, if I'd be drinking, it would have manifested as anger. But if I was alone, um, it would manifest as depression and just hitting these really low lows. And I wouldn't know how to pull myself up. And, um, in my mid twenties, I started to get really bad anxiety attacks that were like, they would freeze me up and I wouldn't able, wouldn't be able to do anything. Um, wow! that added to me having to go to therapy because it was just, you know, it was getting overwhelming.
1: Yeah, my, my, my D-Day is what I like to call it, was like my late 20s, where it, you have to look at something in your life or you're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Like you have to like walk into a therapist and say, I don't know why I'm fucked up, but I just am.
0: Exactly. And it's funny because when I um, made the first call to my therapist, I had said that it was going to be about the anxiety attacks. But I knew, I knew deep down inside that it was going to be about the trauma. But like, it's crazy because, or not, it was just interesting because I didn't,
1: I wouldn't have said that to myself out loud back then. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So this secret, finally revealing it to your fiance. Okay. Now we're looking at the other secret that Mm -hmm. about your sexuality. So how was that coming out and the specifics? The specifics of it.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, with my partner, with my husband, we've been together for about seven to eight years. And he was someone who I was able to explore my sexuality and myself and my sexual self in a safe place with a safe person who is one of the first people to allow me to, like, talk about my trauma and heal from it. And um, after therapy in 2016, we started experimenting more, you know, with... Um, having threesomes and um, during that time I started to discover that I was interested in women and at that time I didn't know how to say those things out loud to myself it was more of this like we we didn't even necessarily talk about it in an upfront way with my husband we would just go do things have an experience and then boom the next morning I'd wake up with the shame hangover and wow wait
1: I say you never even had a conversation would you just like go to a party and both kind of hit on a girl or like it just kind of happened and then you still never had a conversation about it? It's interesting because it it started off just like we would go partying and things would
0: happen, you know, and we wouldn't really talk about it. And then, you know, a few years into our relationship, we started to talk more openly about like having threesomes, but it was never about like, what do we like? Like what are like what is happening here is more just, I don't know. We would be open to it with each other, but it would still be this thing that I still held shame over myself Mm -hmm. about it. And I couldn't talk to friends about it. I couldn't talk to, you know, even my closest friends about it. And I would really hold a shame that I was like that. Um, And it wasn't until recently that I, I kind of, it's weird (sighs) because in the last year I've done a lot of personal work and I've been able to kind of look at myself for who I really am Mm -hmm. and, so the second secret, it kind of came out in this unusual way. So I'm a, I, I'm a journalist for a living and I was writing a story about a sex club and how they've transitioned to online parties during this quarantine period, which is an interesting story in general. And I'm,
1: That is a very interesting story. You can delve yeah. a little bit and how even that works. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The
0: mechanics of it, like how is this all happening? Um, so I was reporting on that story and then the owner of the club had invited me to one of their uh, virtual parties. So of course, you know, for the story, I'll be the oh, martyr. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> um,
1: sign me up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, like those things have always interested me. I've never like could take the dive myself to do it. Cause I, like I said, I had a lot of shame attached to it. And um, when I was supposed to just watch, that was my main goal. I didn't have any intention of participating. Of course, my husband was going to be there with me. Cause I was like, okay, well, let's just, let's just watch. <laughs> and then um, long story short, we ended up getting involved. There was like a point where I was like, okay, this, is this is what's happening um and then the next morning after the story again the shame hangover just hit me really
1: hard well here's my question for you before we go Mm -hmm. in what is that shame like what are what's in your mind that is shaming you do you know
0: um the first thoughts in my mind was you're a bad person wow, you're a terrible person. You really shouldn't be doing things like this. Um, It makes you bad. It makes you evil. Like that's what's going through my mind. And in my heart, like I was also feeling really anxious and my husband kept on having to remind me and he's dealt with my anxiety attacks before. He had to remind me, you did nothing wrong. You're not a bad person. Nothing terrible happened here. We both consensually agreed to this, you know? So it didn't match the response. So that was the first time me and my husband actually had a conversation about why I experience the shame after we both do something that we both consent to, that we both have fun in the moment. And the next morning I like spiral out of control. And that conversation led to really deep conversations about me. It was kind of like we both knew, but didn't know, but about me, like being attracted to women and me wanting to indulge in, you know, a little bit more Non vanilla, (laughs) I would say. Yes. Yeah, it was just. Was there people in your life
1: that made that narrative happen? Well, I mean, I grew up Catholic. Mm -hmm. I also
0: went to a Catholic school till 12th grade. So there's, you know, a lot of that just foundation of any kind of premarital sex is wrong. I remember I even had, like, I was writing in my journal and I was like, after I got married, I'm like, oh, all my sex is now postmarital. Like, this is okay. Just as, like, joking with myself. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of the layers of shame come with like being raised up by more conservative parents, you know, Catholic education, but yeah, I wouldn't, the shame, that's all I can imagine the shame was attached to. And I will say that, you know, going through what I had experienced as a child, like that carried with it a whole bunch of shame for most of my life. I couldn't tell anyone until I was in high school. And then once I said it to a friend, it, like I kind of didn't say anything about it again until college. And then try to see a therapist and it didn't work out and then didn't say anything again until like I turned 25, you know, it was just a shame that I didn't know how to share.
1: Yeah. And then that's why therapy was kind of a turning point for me. Uh, me too. I mean, I didn't share for 15 years, my, wow. you know, sexual assault, I didn't share with anyone. And then when I did, what I feared would happen, did happen. Nothing was done you know? So I get that, that, but it was interesting. I just wanted to hear why you had those internal thoughts and yeah, religion and what society tells you what a healthy marriage, quote unquote marriage, looks like, but you're pushing against it now. So you have this conversation with your husband after you Mm -hmm. researched the, this story (laughs) and got involved, which I love. Mm -hmm. You're like, I was just supposed to watch. And then I started participating, which I I think is amazing. Yeah. So, so what so happened I, after that? Okay. So
0: first of all, because I was doing it for work, I mean, reporting on the story for work, I had to tell my editors right away, like, look, um, as I, <laughs> I got involved basically. And I had to tell them like, I'm actually have deeper roots to the story because when, you know, everything kind of did, I was having flashbacks to like my trauma again the next day and all these like memories were bubbling up, but in a more organized way this time, because again, like I said, it was like consensual. Me and my husband, we enjoyed it. And now I was kind of tackling my story from a writer's perspective. Like, what does this moment in this virtual play party mean to me? And how does it even connect to my shame from the shame I've experienced my whole life? And it kind of, because I decided to, instead of writing a story about a sex club and writing a story about myself, I was able to really understand myself better. And I talked to a sex psychologist about what I experienced and just uncover more layers about myself through that experience of experiencing it and then writing about it.
1: I mean, I that's why I really wanted to interview. I feel find it so fascinating that you are willing to go to such length and expose yourself and expose your secret to the whole world like I did. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I always tell people I never planned on writing the article that I wrote. That wasn't in my in my circle. I was never gonna tell anyone this secret of being a sex and love addict. And it just mm-hmm. all opened up where I couldn't deny my truth anymore. Yeah.
0: Can you, I'm so curious about that too, because I have the same thing where I'm, I I had no intention of writing about this. This was like- (laughs) No intention. So I wonder for you, what was the, like, how did it just, you just wrote it? Like, I want to know what your process was like so I can kind of compare mine.
1: Okay. So my process was, real. I mean, uh, sorry people if you already know this story, but (laughs) my process, listen anyways, or fast forward, but my process was, You know, I, my husband kept telling me, you know, I was getting my 10 year chip in the program. I did all this Mm -hmm. work on myself. I did years of therapy. I've been sponsoring tons of women. I've spoken all over the world and at, in our program. And he was like, you are a writer. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm an actress. Like, this is not what I want to do. Leave me alone. He's like, please just take this writing program. I'm like, no, thank you. And he kept asking me and he kept like mentioning it. I'm like, fine, I'll do it. Just leave me alone. And I wrote this book called Secret Mm -hmm. Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. And it poured out of me in 45 days. Wow! after I wrote it, my sister is also a journalist and she was like, you need to write something for a piece somewhere. And I'm like, oh, I'm not a writer. Leave me alone. (laughs) And then I, (laughs) yeah, it kept pulling at me and it kept And then, you know, HuffPost got into my world. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to submit it and see what mm-hmm. happens. And then that's how it happened. Oh, that's, that's a so, wonderful story. But it is, it's, I always explain to people,
0: like, I have an impulse to write. So I might mm-hmm. be coming at it from a, a different angle, because I've been writing all my life. But like, when I was in therapy in 2016, my therapist kept on mentioning, like, you know, you're a writer, you should really write about your experience. I'm sure there are people that you can help. And I was really resistant to it as well. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I considered it, but I couldn't ever really sit with myself long enough to, you know, just put it out there. And I, I didn't want to talk about myself, but um, I will say that in 2019, I made the decision to just be more open about my personal life and what I go through and, um, you know, writing about anxiety, writing about depression. And I think that that year of writing so openly about myself kind of like led to the essay coming out. Um, and also, like I said, I think I just hit a pinnacle of like, I don't want to feel this shame anymore because my husband yeah. was right. We kept on having conversations where he's like, honestly, baby, you did nothing wrong. You have nothing to be worried about. And for some reason, it's like my mind kept on looking for the thing to attach to when there was nothing. <laughs>
1: like Do you think it was salt. all attached, this secret of your sexuality, this secret of the molestation, that it was all attached to your self-love? Yes. I like there was a part that. of you that wasn't allowing yourself to truly love yourself. So you just kept trying to re-traumatize or shame yourself over and over again. You see, I don't know. I, I guess
0: I've never dug that deep. I'm not sure if that's what I was thinking, but I do know that for the longest time, I really felt like I was a bad, evil person. Like I, those words are big words that trigger me a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, over the course of therapy, I, I started to learn like, why, where did I inherit that language? Who told me that? Why am I bad or am, or I'm? why am I evil? And, you know, in therapy, I had a whole moment of like anger, but a healthy anger about not being able to like experience what it feels like to be introduced to sexuality normally, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, people have these like, oh, the first time they lost their virginity, like it's awkward, but it's always these sweet, innocent stories. But my story of being introduced to stuff like that wasn't so sweet and innocent. And when I started exploring that part of my life in high school, I drank through it all really. And I kind of, like I said, again, I numbed myself through it. So now that I'm adult, an adult, and I was able to go to therapy, really understand myself more. I think this, the missing piece of, okay, well, who I, who am I as a sexual person now that I have power over my own story again? And I think that's where the story kind of now, it was, it just burst out of me.
1: So with with releasing this secret in this story, how was it when it came out, the day it came out? How did you feel? Um, Well, I had to text my family
0: (laughs) and just tell them, heads up, because again, my parents are very conservative. um, So I just wanted them to like, just a heads up, this is going to come out. They've seen me kind of talk openly about my past trauma, which it's a whole other thing. We've never really talked about it because it's awkward. My parents are from the Philippines. It's just a different, culturally, it's different. Um, yeah. So I had to just give them a heads up. They're really supportive. My mom sent me a really sweet text messages saying like, we support you in anything that you do. Um, and also they were just like, it was more just about, this is, you know, what I've been ashamed of, like these desires that I have to explore myself in that way. This is just who I am. And it was almost like I was able to fully step into who I am. And it's yeah. not, it's funny because I feel like in my mind, I'm overblowing this. It's all like I'm full on like BDSM doing anything crazy. For me, it's just really being open to exploring myself. <laughs> and I guess I did drop a little bit of there of how I am attracted to women. I didn't, I've never really told people that I never really had like a coming out moment for me. It was just, okay, I'm just gonna know this is a little part of the story that is a part of it. <laughs>
1: But uh, uh, for me, when it came out the morning, I was like, oh my God, the world is going to stop. Like all these people are going to like, think I'm gross or, you know, like you're going to get those texts or those, how could you, why didn't you tell me? And Mm -hmm. nothing happened. (laughs) It was just like, (laughs) oh, I can be my authentic, honest self. And it, the world is not going to stop. Like, it's okay. I found that to be true for me as well. That's
0: like, I have this theory about any time we take the stories that we're living and put it outside of us and make it into an essay or a book or, you know, just talk about it openly is that it loses its power over yeah. you.
1: That's why I'm doing this podcast. That's exactly why I'm doing it. I keep telling people the moment you let it go in a, a public way or like sharing mm-hmm. it, just me and you talking, it go, it goes away. Yes.
0: Oh, and it's so interesting because I have another essay that I wrote back in December before this whole, I feel like the last seven months have been like a whirlwind in terms of my own growth. But um, in December, I wrote an essay that was really just more focused on the pain behind my childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And um, I picked it up again today because I was thinking about submitting it finally. And then I read through it and I was like, wow, it doesn't feel as heavy anymore. It's like the pain that I was feeling when I wrote it, it feels a little bit lighter because I've been able to step into my truth now. And I still think that story is important, but I kind of want to go back to December and tell the girl who wrote that, like, Hey, Carla, we're going to be okay. You something happens this year and you won't feel as in pain about that story as you did.
1: Oh, that is such a beautiful moment. But I do want to ask you another question about this sexuality secret about your trauma. I always like to tie them to these seven deadly sins, not in the religious sense, more in the character defect sense that we all have them in some Mm -hmm. way. So I'm going to name them for you and let me know if any of them ring true and why. So we have pride, greed, Mm -hmm. lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth. Oh, those are powerful words. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So for some reason, lust pops out at me. Mm. I mean... Do you know the definition of lust? Maybe I'm wrong, but g- give me what you think about lust. And then
1: I just think of lust when you cannot control yourself. Like you are so turned on and attracted to something else and that yes, you okay. lust for it, you know? Yes.
0: Okay. That word. Thanks for it. Cause that's, that's kind of like what I was thinking as well. Um, that word jumped out to, at me because I think that the more sexual side of me would only come out when I was drunk. That's when I was only confident enough to like own this kind of, I joke around that I want to be like this fully embodied sex goddess, but like, I don't know how, <laughs> never really have been able to like authentically explore myself in that way. But I, it would come out when I was drunk. And then again, the, this, the pattern of the shame hangover would come and all this stuff. But um, I think that jumps out at me because when I was able to look at, why my behavior tended to be in that direction was because it was a part of me that I wasn't owning when I was sober as a part of me that like, I was kind of being ashamed about when really that's the part of myself that I wanted to integrate.
1: Mm. What about any other ones? I think pride. <laughs> in what way? Um, I guess a lot of my life,
0: I felt like I've had something to prove to other people. Like I wanted people to think I was smart, that I was good, that I wasn't a bad person, like all of those things. So I think while in the effort of trying to prove myself to everyone, maybe I was kind of embodying more
1: pride, Like, yeah. (laughs) And what, what about anger? Because you said you were holding on to a lot of anger.
0: I'm so glad you pointed that out because that is true. Anger, Actually, was one of my biggest, you know how I said earlier that I felt like a bad or an evil person. Mm-hmm. Um, when I would have those angry outbursts, that's when that like thought process would start. Like I'd be like, oh, you're proving that you're a bad person. And it's interesting because I don't feel that way anymore. Like my husband has also seen a shift in me in the last five years of our relationship that I don't seem as angry and bitter about
1: things as I used to. So oh, I my husband said the same thing, FYI. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> he said I used to get angry at like people driving, like tailing me and I don't do it anymore. He's like, you've changed so much. Yeah, and
0: uh, See, that's why it's so important for us to own our stories because I think after that, that's why my anger, like it probably didn't pop up in my mind because I don't identify with that anymore. My anger really... I was able to soothe it.
1: Yeah. And and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then who do you think benefited from these secrets you kept? And who do you think it harmed? Oh, it's funny because I want to say me for both of them. Ding um, ding ding. I know.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, I know that by me kind of ignoring the problem and allowing myself to self-sabotage and act out, I was allowing myself to just really be a victim, Mm -hmm. and allow myself to be bitter that the world was so bad to me. Um, And I mean, so that's how it hurt me. But I also think it helped me because I can't change my story, what happened happened. And it's given me such a compassionate view of people. And uh, yeah, I mean, and I, uh, it probably has benefited. I don't know, I can't, I don't know who it has benefited. (laughs)
1: Well, I loved that answer. And my last question for you, and I think this is the most important one. If someone is feeling the exact same way you were feeling, if they were taken advantage of, if they were shaming themselves after acting out sexually and all that stuff, what would be your advice to them if they're listening? Mm, Good question. I would say
0: to not shy away from their shame. And I would say that shame is a really normal and natural feeling. But if you don't look at it, then you're going to let the shame control you.
1: Mm. And lastly, where can people read your article that you wrote?
0: Sure. Um, So my essay was also published on HuffPost. The title of it is, um, I went to a virtual sex party and faced my trauma. I (laughs) love that title. (laughs) Yeah. And I share a lot of my other personal writing on Instagram at happy little Carla.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your secrets with us. No, thank you so much for having me on. And if you wanna be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at icloud.com. Until next time.